We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and we usually take a hiatus in June, but this year we changed it up a bit and took the month of May off, so we are back here to give you a non-stop summer of exciting NFL content and coverage. And in case you missed it, we kicked things off last week with the beginning of our special Beyond the Chap series with the 2022 Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and tonight... We begin the final leg of our annual Dash to the Draft series with a recap of the draft halls and what promises to be the most entertaining division in modern NFL history, the AFC West. And to give us his thoughts on how the Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders did in the 2022 NFL draft is longtime friend of the pod, Mark Schofield of the USA Today Touchdown Wire. Mark, it's great to have you with us as always. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing well, David. It is great to be back with you. I'm glad you took a little time off in May, but... Excited to see you back on the airwaves here in June, and I'm excited to be back with you, buddy. It's always exciting to have you as well, my friend. And let's start off with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, who I think had one of the best drafts out of any team. And it wasn't just because of the amount of picks they had. It was because of what they did with those picks. And with their first of two first-round picks, the Chiefs selected cornerback Trent McDuffie out of Washington. And when you look at Trent McDuffie, there is hardly anything not to like except for his sub 30 inch arm length. And the history does show that corners with uh, such short arms rarely, if ever carve out successful NFL careers. But that said, NFL draft analyst for CBS sports, Chris Trapasso said during the combine that the NFL could afford to sacrifice arm length for agility at corner, given the fact that much of the NFL tends to prefer smaller, faster and shiftier wide receivers these days. And Daniel Jeremiah echoed that same point during the NFL network live draft broadcast. Do you think Trent McDuffie will change the paradigm as to how the entire NFL looks at the cornerback position? You know, David, I think he has that potential. And, you know, when you study him on film, you see an experienced corner, a savvy corner, somebody that has the ability to cut and close and get to the catch point. And yes, the measurables in terms of arm size, arm length, hand size are low. But when you see somebody with the explosion that he has, you know, he had a, over 10 foot broad, he had a 38 and a half inch vertical, 444 in the 40 with a 10-yard split of 1.53. Those are all great to excellent numbers for a corner, regardless of size. And so I, I think that certainly works in his favor. And when you look at this Kansas City Chiefs roster, I think there's the expectation that he'll probably start on the slot. They have, you know, Legarius Steed on the outside, Richard Fenton on the outside. You know, I think there's an opportunity for them to bring him along slowly in the slot. But when you watch him at Washington, when you watch him match some shallow crossers, when you watch him drive on routes and get to the catch point, you see an extremely disruptive corner and he was able to do that even despite, you know, his, his lack of length, so to speak, he was able to get to the catch point and be disruptive. And so I think in a sense, David, he does have that ability and that potential to disrupt that cornerback paradigm. Oh, absolutely. And I'm very interested to see how he's utilized in Kansas city from the get-go and with their second pick in the first round, the chiefs upgraded their pass rush with Purdue defensive end, George Karloftis. And uh, Karloftis was a guy who many teams didn't like because of his kind of like Trent McDuffie, his T-Rex arms. And, but unlike Trent McDuffie his not so freakish athleticism. However, consistency is the name of the game with George Karloftis, given his nonstop motor and his ability to constantly affect the quarterback, even if it doesn't turn up on the stat sheet. And another friend of the pod, uh, Jacob and Ponte of the draft wire, came on this uh, program last fall and compared Karloftis 
to longtime Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham, who Andy Reid helped draft when he was still in Philly. Do you see some parallels between George Karloftis and Brandon Graham? And can you see the former becoming a similar dependable player for the Chiefs as the latter has been for the Eagles? I do see some comparisons there. And I think that's a very apt sort of pro comparison for Karloftis. He's certainly a power rusher, but he's a steady guy. Um, somebody that I think is going to give you eight, nine sacks at some point. Um, it could be as a rookie, could be, you know, year two, year three. And I think he's going to be a nice little complement to what they've added and what's already in place in terms of, you know, you look at this team, Frank Clark on one edge already, you know, you have an opportunity to put him across from Clark and you have two pretty good bookend type of pass rushers. And one of the things that I sort of really liked about him, and you mentioned it, David, is that motor. It, it's always running hot. You know, he's somebody that doesn't take plays off. And I, you know, I, I didn't agree with the criticisms of uh, Kayvon Thibodeau with respect to his motor. I thought it was always, you know, running hot as well, but that's not a question at all with Carl Loftus. And, you know, if you'll allow me a moment to pat myself on the back, we always do these way too early mock drafts, right? Well, last April, last May, I had Carl Loftus at the Kansas City Chiefs to pick 31 overall. And so I didn't get a lot of other stuff right. I also had Sam Howell to Washington, but I had that in the first round, not the fifth round. But I did get Carl Loftus to the Chiefs in the first round of my way too early mock draft. And so I do feel it's fair to point that one out. It most certainly is. And uh, I'm going to give you another pat on the back as well. Job well done, Mark. And uh, continuing uh, with this uh, Chiefs draft class in, in the second round, they gave Patrick Mahomes a new weapon in Western Michigan wide receiver Sky Moore, who was a player I sorely wish the Bears had picked with one of their two seconds. While he doesn't replace Tyree Kill pound for pound, you just cannot deny that he brings a lot to that wide receiver room in Kansas City. What does Sky Moore bring that neither Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Juju Smith-Schuster do? And can you see Sky Moore becoming Patrick Mahomes' top target in the passing game outside of Travis Kelsey by season's end? I mean, I don't know if I'll go that far. I mean, I, I think, you know, Moore is going to face a bit of an adjustment, but what works in his favor is he can beat press aligned defenders off the line of scrimmage with a wide variety of release moves, including some of the most violent hands I've seen from a wide receiver. He reminded me a lot of Julius, uh, Julian Edelman. Um, you know, I, there were some plays he had at Western Michigan where I really thought I was watching Edelman. Um, you know, routes over the middle, the way he would catch, the way he would run after the catch, the way he would sort of tumble into and out of tackles. I, I got so many Edelman vibes, David, watching him that, you know, I, I think he's somebody that is poised to have like a 10 year career in the NFL and to be a, at some point, 80, 90 catch guy. I don't know if that's out of the gate, but I think those days are closer than you might expect. And, you know, I, I think in terms of this offense, the way he's going to sort of fit in is going to be interested because, we know Juju Smith-Schuster is more of a slot-type guy, and with Moore's ability out of the box to beat press line defenders, you might see him as more of a Z than you might expect. You know, a lot of people look at him and they think, oh, yeah, it's nice that he can beat press line defenders, but he's probably going to be playing in the slot in the NFL. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So uh, I think he's in a very good position. He's obviously going to be in an offense where they're going to throw the ball a ton, so we might see 50, 60 targets out of the box this year. Um, and I would expect that number to continue over the next couple of years. Will he be wide, you know, target number two, option number two by year's end? Probably a stretch, but maybe not a wildly out of the, the realm of possibility. Let's put it that way. That is a very fair prediction, Mark. And uh, the Chiefs uh, added two other uh, big potential contributors to their defense on day two of the draft. 
Uh, they took uh, Cincinnati safety Brian Cook with the 62nd overall pick in the second round. And with the 103rd overall pick of the draft, they selected freakishly athletic Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chennault. Which one of those two do you see having the biggest impact right out of the gate for the Chiefs defense? I think it's Chanel. Um, I, I had some people tell me, you know, people, you know, around the college game, not with NFL teams, but tell me that he was one of their top 15 players in this, in this entire draft class. Um, you know, I, I think when you see Chanel, there's a bit of a throwback element to his game, right? And he sort of, at least on film, looks like, yeah, he's your between the tackles thumper type guy. That if this were 1985, he might be the first player off the board in the entire draft class. But here in the year 2022, it's a passing league. And so linebackers get devalued and a guy with that kind of potential slides all the way to the third round. But you mentioned that freakish athleticism. And there are moments when you study him where, yeah, he can match routes. He can carry tight ends on verticals. He can match backs out of the backfield. The athleticism is there, provided that translates to the NFL the way we think it does. I think he's an immediate out of the box contributor. Now, they're pretty deep at linebacker, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. He's a week one starter for them. And so I was very excited that they drafted him. I was surprised he was available there. And I think he's a guy that could step in and contribute right away for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, and from the Chiefs to the team hoping to go from worst to first, my Denver Broncos. And thanks to the Russell Wilson trade, which was well worth it, the Broncos began their draft class with the final pick of the second round, selecting Oklahoma pass rusher Nick Bonito. While Benino had a lot of love, and I mean a lot of love, from notable people on draft Twitter, such as Chris Sims, for one, and Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, my man Nick Kendall and his colleagues at Mile High Huddle were rather lukewarm about this selection, especially given Benito's liability in run defense. And some Broncos fans also had some Shane Ray vibes about this pick, and we obviously know how Shane Ray turned out. What was your pre-draft opinion of Nick Benito, and why, if possible, should Broncos fans warm up to this pick? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't as high as ben on Benito as, you know, obviously some of the other options of the edge or the outside linebacker spot in this draft class. But I think you are looking at somebody that while there are deficiencies, like you said, in the run game, and there are some moments where you'd like to see him sort of set the edge better and be a bit more productive and a bit more effective at helping defense stop the run. There's speed, quickness, body control, bend. Like there are the box that's, boxes that you want to check as a pass rusher. And that stuff translates extremely well. And I think you might look at him as somebody that, you know, as a rookie is probably going to be a situational pass rusher type. You know, he's more of a, you know, you're bringing him in on third downs and on sub packages and, you know, passing situations and ease him in that way. And then in year two, you're looking for him to be sort of an every down contributor. And obviously you've got questions about Bradley Chubb to be sorted out over the next couple of months here, you know, with his situation with Denver. And so I, I think this is a, a draft pick that is made. Yes, he can contribute in a sort of, you know, specific role here in 2022 and take on a bigger role in 2023 and beyond. Absolutely. And uh, your colleague at the USA Today Touchdown Wire, uh, Doug Farrar, uh, had an interesting pro comp for Nick Benito, Hassan Reddick, who just signed a pretty big uh, free agency deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, when you look at the new Broncos defensive coordinator, Ejiro Evero, he comes from the Rams and the Rams are a team that de-emphasize and I mean de-emphasize that inside linebacker position tremendously and he wants to send waves of pass rushers from wherever on the field and that's why you see Baron Browning being moved to the outside linebacker will be asked to rush the passer more and uh, Nick Benito I think will be asked to play that role as well um, uh, early on and I think that is a very ideal role for him to play don't you think so? 
you know, David, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I think that is an ideal world for him. And I think, you know, Eagles fans will point out that like, there's no better evidence of devalue in the inside linebacker position than adding Alex Singleton as an inside linebacker. I mean, Eagles fans have been, you know, griping about Alex Singleton for years and now here he is in Denver. I think you're right though. They're going to look at, you know, athleticism from the second level outside linebacker types, but moving them around, you know, you're going to see a lot of sort of some radar fronts and other different packages where you're not quite sure who's coming and going. You might see, you might even see Benito aligned in a two point stance in the a gap and then dropping because they're really looking at athleticism from the second level. But I do think that sort of situational pass rusher role is what he carves out initially and adds to that resume going into year two. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, uh, Designated pass rusher role is uh, the most ideal role for Nick Benito to play his rookie year. And the Giro Evro's defense is one of the most ideal schemes for him to do just that in. And with their third round pick, the Broncos decided to try to replace what they lost by trading away Noah Fant and UCLA's Greg Dulcich. While there's no denying the talent Dulcich brings, as we know, Russell Wilson isn't a quarterback known for utilizing that tight end position. However, Seconds after this pick was made, I heard Daniel Jeremiah and Joel Klatt on NFL Network use the word vertical to describe Dulcich's skills in the passing game. And given that Russell Wilson is one of the best vertical throwers in the entire game, I warmed up to this pick immediately. Do you think Greg Dulcich is the ideal kind of tight end for Russell Wilson? I do. And he was my second tight end. I mean, after Trey McRide, Dulcich was tight end too for me. I I loved watching him. And, you know, I do think that there's a verticality to his game that, you often don't see that sort of uh, you often don't see the tight end position. I mean, I described him as an explosive option, uh, offers playmaking skills in the downfield passing game, very similar to how those guys were describing him sort of at the NFL work. his ability to operate in the vertical passing game, but also his ability to change direction, sink his hips and cut vertically, or even break back to, or to the sideline stands out amongst this tight end group. And what was interesting, David, about this tight end class is in, in so many tight end classes, it's, yeah, these guys are nice receivers, but none of them can block. I thought this tight end class offered a lot in terms of guys that could block. I mean, Trey McBride, um, most people's tight end, one of the guys that sort of went earliest, he's a very good blocker. Traditionally played in an in-line role at Colorado State. Dosich had some of the blocking skills, but he was more of that move type guy that you would use as a second tight end, but move him around a little bit. You might use him as a, a big slot at times in sort of big 11 personnel packages. And so I think he is the type of tight end that Russell Wilson can benefit from because Wilson, look, say what you want about Russell Wilson. He's a tremendously talented quarterback, but attacking the middle of the field, particularly between the hash marks, not an area where he's at his best. He's at his best throwing to the outside and throwing downfield. A vertical tight end like Dulcich is the ideal type of tight end for Russell Wilson. You said it right there, Mark, and several on draft Twitter absolutely loved, and I mean loved what the Broncos did with their back-to-back picks in the fourth round, selecting freakish athletic corner Damari Mathis out of Pittsburgh and an ideal Shelby Harris replacement in defensive tackle Ioma Uwazurike of Iowa State. Which one of those two players is more likely to be a long-term contributor for the Broncos in your view? I mean, I think Mathis just because, you know, the cornerback depth in so many teams is an issue, you know, and, and obviously, look, you look at Patrick Sutan, obviously you look at Darby, you look at Williams, like they have top flight corners, but, you know, cornerback four sometimes is a starter or at least a big time player for a defense because you go with so many sub packages, you go, you know, with a lot of nickel dime dollar, you might see a lot more teams go with drop eight stuff like we saw last year with the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I think Mathis with that athleticism, that ability to sort of be a disruptive type of playmaker, 
he might see the field a lot more than the other option. And so I, I think Mathis is probably the option here. Yes. And uh, back to Giro Evro for a moment. He, as I said, he's coming from the Rams. He worked under Raheem Morris last year, but he also worked under Brandon Staley and Wade Phillips uh, in LA and a uh, common link uh, between uh, the defense Evro is running and uh, the defense, the Broncos ran with Vic Fangio is that they want their defensive backs to be hybrids. Do you see Damari Mathis as that hybrid kind of defensive back that could thrive in such a scheme? I do. I mean, I, I think you, you know, you sort of watch him, you study him, you see that athleticism, you see that ability to serve in a couple of different roles. And I think, you know, that's the sort of trend, right, David, just generally across the National Football League that trends towards positionless players, or at least on the defensive side of the ball, hybrid positionless type of players where, you know, you might have come out as a corner, you might have come out as a safety, but you have to be able to serve in different roles. You have to be able to play down in the box. You have to be able to play deep. You have to be able to have man coverage skills, zone coverage skills. And I think Mathis has that potential. And so, yeah, I, I think that's just another nod to where this defense wants to be. And I think that's a very good point. And moving right along to the team that I sincerely mean it is out of excuses, the Los Angeles Chargers. This or next year has got to be the year they make it to a Super Bowl or else some heads are going to roll in that organization. It is all on the line right now for the Chargers. Now is their time. And with that 17th overall pick, the Chargers selected the player with arguably the highest floor in the entire draft, Boston College guard Zion Johnson. And this gives the Chargers four long-term answers on the offensive line at left tackle with Rashawn Slater, at left guard with Matt Filer, at center with Corey Lindsley, and at right guard where I believe Zion Johnson is going to slide in. But right tackle remains a pretty big question mark, just to put it mildly. And uh, two possibilities that stand out are the Chargers rolling with Trey Pipkins at that spot or kicking Matt Filer outside to bookend Rashawn Slater. How do you see the Chargers week one starting five shaping out? They might have to kick Filer out. And put, you know, I was surprised that, you know, Sawyer fell to the sixth round. You know, there were a lot of people that thought he was going to come off the board early on day two. That might be where they end up with this. And of course, look, Zion, I don't think he's a tackle in the NFL, but he played some tackle in college. And, and there might be an, an idea here where they kick him to right tackle and Sawyer goes in at right guard. I mean, what they did with the Johnson pick and added Sawyer in the sixth round, they gave themselves a couple of different combinations. And I always appreciate it when NFL teams do that, whether it's in terms of a game plan for a game or you know, receivers for a matchup for a specific week, or in this case, trying to figure out your best five in front of a quarterback that you need to protect here in Justin Herbert. And so I, I think those two guys that they added, Johnson and Sawyer, gives them a couple of different combinations to figure out their best five. Now, I think, you know, filing a right tackle, Sawyer at left guard, you know, Johnson at right guard might be the best on paper, but I think over, you know, mandatory minicamp, you know, certainly during training camp, they're going to look at every possible combination. If it works out that Johnson, despite some subpar film at right tackle in college, actually stands up and can handle that spot, then they're going to put their best five in front of in front of Justin Herbert. So I, I think it's far more likely that Filer kicks outside, like you said, that Sawyer and you got the two rookie guards. But anything's possible. And I think they're going to do everything they can to find their best five in front of Justin Herbert. As they should, and the Chargers obviously had no second-round pick this year because of the Khalil Mack trade, but in the third round, they added another safety, and you can't have too many of those in the Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio defense, in Baylor's J.T. Woods. And an anonymous NFL executive told Mike Sando of The Athletic, 
that he thinks Woods will turn out to be a similar third-round bargain that Justin Simmons turned out to be for the Broncos. Do you share that view? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's that potential. Lawn, rangy. Um, certainly, like you said, you can never have too many safeties in this sort of Brandon Staley, too high world that so many defenses, including the Chargers, obviously they're living in. I need somebody that has that background and ability to play single high, to play too high, great acceleration, great burst, can you know cover ground in a hurry, which you certainly need, whether you're going to be in that single or too high. You know, I, I think there's a lot to really like about his game. And the fact that they got him in the third round, I think, speaks to this strange valuation of safeties that we're seeing right now. You know, despite this too high world we're living in, where we're asking safeties to do a ton, we're still seeing the position be devalued in a bit. Kyle Hamilton, for many people, was the top player on many draft boards. I know the draft network had him one, number one overall. Doug Ferrar, myself, a touch of wire had him the top player overall. He slides to 14 because of position of value. Guys like Woods slide to the third round because of position of value. And that, and yet, you know, when we get into the games, when we get into, you know, the fall, we get into training camp and all that stuff, it's going to be, oh, now we're playing too high and the too high world we're living in and safety is such an important position. Well, something's got to give there, right? You would think that if safety is such this important position, we're going to draft these guys earlier, but I think the Chargers did a great job to get him in the third. And I think he could have that kind of impact on this defense, like you said, you know, people saw from Simmons and what he did for Denver's defense. Absolutely. And uh, given the fact that Vic Fangio helped uh, Justin Simmons take his game to the all pro level, it's currently at um, I wouldn't bet against Brandon Staley's ability to do the same with JT Woods. And in the fourth round, the Chargers added to their running back stable with Isaiah Spiller of Texas A&M. And Isaiah Spiller probably fell to day three due to an underwhelming combine performance, but he was widely seen as one of the top three to five backs in this class. Can you see Isaiah Spiller making an impact right away? And if so, how do you see the Chargers splitting the work between him and Austin Eckler? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, running back is one of those positions where you're going to use them early, you know, and I think you're like, you're right, you know, you know, 30 inch vertical was like seventh percentile, like you know, the broad was the 22nd percentile. Like you said, it was an underwhelming combine performance from Spiller, but he's a very scheme diverse back, you know, gap, power, zone, you know, duo, whatever you want to run, he can do it. Very explosive. He can also operate out of the backfield. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind. Like, you know, we just got done talking about safeties and the sort of positional value arguments against safeties. You're seeing a similar argument against running backs. That's why these guys are sliding down boards. But Spiller has the ability to contribute out of the backfield as a receiver. His strengths are in that zone run scheme. And I think we will see a lot of that. We will continue to see a lot of that from the Chargers that we've seen in the past. In terms of how they're going to split things up, I, I, we might see a sort of mini running back by committee between these two. I mean, you, you want to, I, I would imagine that Spiller might get more early down work out of the gate. Eckler might get more like second and third down work. You might see Spiller on early downs. You might see him in more run friendly situations, but I do think that he's going to see his share of touches in this offense. He's going to see his share of carries. And if what we saw from him in college translates to the NFL, you're going to see him handle some pass protection responsibilities. You're going to see him getting targets out of the backfield. And so I think it's going to be a fairly even split between these two maybe like something like 60, 40 or something like that, or maybe, you know, 50, 30 with the other guys getting the other 20, but you know, Spiller's going to get the you know minor part of the workload, but he's going to be a part of this offense. 
Absolutely. And uh, you just uh, gave me uh, some uh, fantasy football advice. Like if you're in a PPR league, Austin Eckler may as well be a surefire top three pick, but in a non-PPR league, not so much given the presence of Isaiah Spiller. So keep that in mind, fantasy owners. And moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders, who didn't have any premium capital to work with in this draft due to the Devontae Adams trade, but they still wound up with a day one contributor, at least in my view, with the 90th overall pick in Memphis center guard Dylan Parham. Do you see Parham starting week one this season? And do you think his best fit long term is at center or guard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's got the potential to be a week one starter. I mean, you know, he's listed right now behind good at right guard. I, I think he could probably end up winning that job. You know, they have some weaknesses on the interior of their offensive line. I mean, I don't think there are any questions about that. I mean, Colton Miller has kind of come on at left tackle, which is nice to see Brandon Parker's kind of come on at right tackle. They got questions on the interior. So it's not really a surprise that they went interior offensive line with that pick. And I think what's interesting about him is that he has that ability to fill in both roles. And so similar to the discussion we were just having with the Chargers, it's going to be a situation where they're going to find a way to get him on the field no matter what. And they're going to have to find a way. You know, they're going to have to get him on the field. And so I, I think, look, he's going to be a guy that you can obliterate people up front with. You know, he's aggressive. Um, he's my, my colleague, Doug Farrar, described him as an inline demolition expert. You know, he's a power guard. He's a road grader. And I think that's sort of, you know, Conrad Dobler-esque sort of, you know, for a callback, for a throwback name there. <laughs> I think he projects best at guard. It wouldn't surprise me to see him get slotted in there right away and just lock down right guard for the next five years or so for the Raiders. And so, you know, center potentially, but I think that road grader type of guard is where he projects best. And like the Chargers, the Raiders also added to their running back stable with their first pick on day three by selecting Georgia's Zamir White. And even though they already have Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake on the roster, it is very, very, very important to know that there's an entirely new regime in town with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, neither of whom drafted nor signed Jacobs and Drake. And where do Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler come from? New England. And what do the Patriots do with their running backs? They do a textbook running back by committee, hot hand approach at that position. Given all that, would it surprise you if Zamir White ends up as the starter at some point this season? I'm getting serious Ramondre Stevenson vibes from this pick. You know, I mean, we saw last year, right, where obviously New England, like you said, they run with the sort of hot hand. And, you know, I've been a Patriots fan pretty much my entire life. And more than anything else that I get asked about the Patriots is forget Brady or Belichick or Mac Jones. It's which running back in the New England roster should I draft? And I always tell people, I have no idea. You know, if I could tell you the answer to that question, I'd be a much wealthier man than I am right now. Because look, they, they add Ramondre Stevenson and you're like, but well, they have Damian Harris. They have Sony Michelle. Like, and then they trade Sony Michelle away. I, I think you're going to see something similar here where they might look at White as sort of the guy in short yarded situations early. He might get, he might vulture some touchdowns for this offense as well because of how they might use him in those short yarded situations. But it might be a situation where like Josh Jacobs is kind of the, you know, he's looked at as a Damian Harris, like the quote unquote starter, but they're going to go with hot hands. They're going to go with matchups. Kenya Drake, there might be some games where it's a Kenya Drake game because, you know, they're going up against a team. They don't trust their linebackers. You know, before he got hurt, James White was like, okay, they're going up against the Bills. The Patriots don't think that the Bills linebackers can cover it's a James White game because they're going to throw to him out of the backfield all the time. Or you're going to get a team that has very good linebackers that can cover. It's a Damian Harris game. 
it's going to be tough to figure out, but I think White, because of the way that the Patriots have done things in the past with McDaniels, and now he's in the, with the Raiders, I think White is going to see a lot of action for this team. Thank you for yet another fantastic fantasy football nugget, Mark. And he is Mark Schofield of the USA Today Touchdown Wire. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you check out the work that both he and Doug Farrar do at the USA Today Touchdown Wire. Some of the best, most in-depth football coverage you will ever, 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 ever get. And uh, before we let you go here, Mark, uh, I want you to name a player from this draft, either drafted or an undrafted free agent from each of the four teams we just discussed. And this is a player we have not yet mentioned that you think will have a successful NFL career, starting with the Chiefs. Justin Ross. I mean, to, to see Justin Ross go undrafted, I mean, this is a guy that people were talking about as a potential first-round pick of the wide receiver position. You see him go undrafted, and obviously it's because of the injuries. But I, I think the potential is there, provided he stays healthy, for him to be an explosive type of receiver in the National Football League. And imagine a fully healthy Justin Ross in a Kansas City Chiefs offense that's spreading the ball around. You know, we, we talked about could Sky Moore be Patrick Mahomes' number two target after Travis Kelsey. Justin Ross could be that player, too. I mean, so Justin Ross, I think, is a tremendous, you know, to get him as an undrafted free agent, just an absolutely fantastic job by the Chiefs. Absolutely. And uh, even though it's a hated division rival, I will be rooting for Justin Ross uh, because uh, he's been through so much uh, health-wise, and it would be a fantastic story if he's able to carve out a long-term NFL career. What about the Broncos? One of my favorite interior defensive linemen in study was, was Matt Henningsen from, from Wisconsin. Sort of a versatile type of guy, a guy that you, know, you might see as a five-tech, you might see as a three-tech. He's got the ability to sort of be that defensive tackle and sort of that odd man, you know, three-man front that they use and bringing down that fourth linebacker as, you know, your sort of base three-four, so to speak. He could be that sort of five technique guy at times. And so I think he's got an opportunity, David, to contribute a lot out of the gate for this team. Absolutely. Especially with the long-term questions the Broncos are facing uh, up front. And what about the Chargers? But you already mentioned Jamari Sawyer. So can you think of anybody different? Yeah. I mean, Sawyer would probably be the easy one here. I mean, you, you're looking at the rest of the players. Um, I wasn't really a huge Brandon Peters fan, you know, so I, I can't really go there. Xander Horvath, right? The fullback drafted in the seventh round out of Purdue. You know, he might be somebody that covers out a pretty big role on special teams. And, you know, maybe the Chargers decide, hey, we're going to run a little 21 personnel at times. It wouldn't surprise me if he sort of won that job there. So we'll go with the fullback, Xander Horvath. How about that? Yep. Make the fullback great again. Fullbacks are people go. too. I'm in the movement. And last but not least, the Raiders. I know he had some bad games. There's two I want to go here. Fairmont, Fairmont for junior, you know, can never have too many tackles in the National Football League. Uh, he's played both interior and out, I think he plays outside of the NFL. But a guy, another guy that I really liked on the interior, Matthew Butler out of Tennessee. He was somebody that made, I think he was, he was my ideal like seven in this class. I think he's got interior pass rushing upside. You saw a whole array of pass rushing moves. He's experienced. He has a pass rushing plan on every single snap. He can counter. So if he tries one move, they got an answer for him. He can counter that and counter it well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him carve out a role as an interior pass rusher for this team in the next season. 
Mark Schofield, USA Today, Touched on Wire. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But our recaps of the 2022 NFL draft classes continue shortly with a stop in the AFC East, where my main man, Jeff Barnes, will share his thoughts on how each team in that division fared in the draft. Also, our Beyond the Chap series continues in just a few weeks with Denver Broncos cheerleaders Alexandria and Sophia. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Mark Schofield, this is David Cromwell saying so long and whatever you do, choose love, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose empathy, and keep the people of Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, and the brave, inspiring people of Ukraine in your thoughts, prayers, and whatever actions possible. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool. <laughs>